seated. We're not there. There we are. Now it's on you back there, Micah. All right, let's get it right. But um, one of my favorite things about today are the steps leading up to the platform. I absolutely, I love it. I love it. No, I, I didn't have to have a handrail tonight. Listen, that's, uh, you laugh. First time I preached at a church over here, about a half hour from here or so, I'm sitting out there watching, and I have to analyze. I'm getting around pretty good, but I still, steps can be a challenge. And so I'm analyzing, and it's an older building, a large building, but it's an older building, and the steps aren't the standard seven and a half inch or whatever they are. They're like 11 or 12 inches. So I'm sitting out there with my wife, and I'm watching, and I'm going, that ain't happening. There's no handrail. There's, there's nothing, you know. And so I watched the choir. They came in behind the piano, and they took four steps instead of three steps. I said, oh, there's an extra step over there. <laughs> and so when he introduced me, I went around behind the piano and came up that way. And now that I've been on that platform probably 20 times in the last couple of years, and I know the way. I just go around. And there's a handrail back there. And I told him this last time. I said, one of my goals is in the next year or so to climb those steps. Amen. I've climbed them. But not in front of anybody, just my wife. I took my wife in there, and we did that. And this thing, I don't know how much you'll need this. This isn't um, hallelujah, amen. And um, this definitely isn't a Pentecostal fan. I can tell it's a, a Baptist fan because it's got a couple of little thumbtacks. If it's Pentecostal, they have staples all the way around, you know, to hold it in place. But anyway, um, <clears throat> reminded me, though, back when I was a kid, we probably all heard the jokes from our preacher dads, right? And and uh, he's telling about a preacher that was trying to get response from the congregation. And so he says, look, I'm going to have some beans up here, some dry. Uh, they had to be pencil beans, because right, I'm sure it was Texas. He said, I'm going to have me some dry beans up here, and I'm going to flip one out every now and then. Every time I flip a bean out, you say, amen. amen. So that was working out pretty good. He was preaching long, and he'd just reach down and flip a bean out, and everybody would say, amen, and and a little bit later, he'd flip another one out. And after a while, they just started going crazy. Amen, amen, amen. He said, shut up, the bag broke. <laughs> so, so anyway, so anyway, um, I wonder if Brother Mari is still as energetic as he was. I hadn't seen him in a few years. And uh, I used to be energetic. <laughs> the, the Lord settled me down some. And now I just try to get enough energy to say hello, right? And uh, but uh, I wonder if he is. I was thinking, y'all just had Brother J.D. Weedo, tremendous man of God, both of those men, tremendous men. I've known him for years, and what a blessing. And here I am wedged in the middle. You know, that's, that's my first thought was. Well, no, no, my first thought was, kind of like Jesus Christ when he hung between two thieves. You know what I'm saying? But uh, anyway, that's, that, that was not my best thought. That was my first thought. And, and uh, don't tell Brother... Mari, I said that, and uh, 
Uh, those have been a blessing. Brother Mario and I, I uh, start to say we pastored fairly close to each other in Illinois, but that's been a long, long time ago. And uh, <clears throat> I was going to say something about Alan McGordo. Oh, you're talking about schedule and getting places on time. My, one of my great fears of ministry, I wanted to be here to hear Brother Weedo. I had every intention. Your preacher told me about it and what have you. I didn't put it on my schedule. And if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen because yeah. it don't stay here long, all right? And so it reminded me, we had a youth rally. I was back a youth director right after PC. I was youth director at El Paso. And so we had this big youth rally, and we brought churches in from all around. And well, we just had a time. We had a couple hundred kids or better or something. Just had a time of our life. And the following Saturday... A graduate of PC, a friend of mine when I was there, I can't even think of his name right now, but he was pastoring all the way up in the north part, uh, Gallup, New Mexico, pastoring all the way up there in Gallup. He and about 30 teenagers showed up the following Saturday. They were a week late. <laughs> they came in. I said, what in the world are you doing here? He said, we're here for the youth rally. Man, we're excited about this. I said, you got a deal. So I got on the phone. We started calling our teenagers, and we had another one. We just did back-to-back youth rallies, you know what I'm saying? Just had a good time. It was a little smaller the second time. But I'm afraid I'm going to show up a week late somewhere or a week early somewhere, and it's going to be quite embarrassing. But that's, um, that's life, the uh, things you deal with at different ages of life, right? And that's okay. I don't know about y'all. A lot of you look close to my age or so. Some of you are still kids, but a lot of you look close to my age or so, and and uh, I don't know about you, I've loved every age of life. I've loved every age. I loved being a kid. My dad worked me like a dog. He was a milkman, and I'd go on the milk route with him when I was four, five, six years old. And you could do that back then. You couldn't get by with that today. But uh, then I worked in the garage with him as a teenager and what have you. And, but I loved being a teenager. I loved high school. I loved the military. I loved, I loved Bible college. I, I wasn't awake much, but I loved it when I was there. And I loved pastoring. And I'm absolutely loving this stage of life. I've had folks say, well, how, how you doing? You, know, you, you pastored 40 years. How, how you, I'm loving it. And if I'm not, I don't know any better. You know, it's just I'm just happy as can be. And I love it. And, and God gives us different ages and different purposes. I was worried. Uh, I can't say worried because I had peace. I was doing what God wanted me to do. But I was concerned that um, either through health or open doors, I wasn't, I wasn't going to have an opportunity to minister. And that's all I've known my whole life. And, um, and I was grieving over that. But God has, even through COVID, has allowed us to be in, I think, 24 different churches now some multiple times, 24 cities. They never let us back in the same city twice. Okay, it's 24 different cities, eight states, and now we're getting ready to go back to Germany and Italy and Austria, uh, Austria, not Australia, Austria. You're going to Australia. And my wife says, I wish you'd quit traveling. And uh, Johnny Flanagan, anybody know Johnny Flanagan? Johnny Flanagan, old singer, right? Johnny Flanagan. Uh, his last couple of years, I, I was friends with him for 30 or 40 years or so, and his last couple of years, he had a motto, going till I'm gone. And he's gone now, so I stole his motto. <laughs> Amen. So I'm going till I'm gone. I said, just let me have a good time, right? Let me enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, back in Alamogordo, when I was pastoring there, I had a uh, oh, an old guy on a softball team we had, our church softball team. Old guy, he had to be in his 50s, maybe 60s. I don't know, he was really old, you know. And uh, he was probably the best player I had. This guy could flat move around the bases, and and uh, I benched him one, one time. And he actually retired up in this area. There, he and his wife are both in heaven now. But I benched him one time. 
because I was worried about him. He's so old, you know, and I said, he's third baseman too. Man, the guy could field, he could run, he could bat. And his wife called me over, Sister Edna Carey. She says, Brother Claude, you're killing him. <laughs> I was 30 years old. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you're killing him. You, and she said this, she goes, you know he's the best player on your team. If he's going to die, let him die happy. And I said, you got it. And he never got benched again. You know, he played every inning of every game and lived to talk about it. And uh, so that's why I told my wife, so I've had some good mentors ahead of me. And I just want to keep going until the Lord's through. Then, then, we'll, then we'll go home. Second Corinthians chapter 1. This morning I preached on the God of all comfort. When we lost our daughter, and I mentioned this morning, music has played a vital role in our lives. I don't know about y'all, but music is vitally important. I've been blessed to do a couple of music conferences since I've retired, and I love to try to, I, I deal more from a pastoral standpoint, I deal more with philosophy of music and what have you. But when we lost our daughter, this song, The God of All Comfort, became precious to us as a family, became precious to my wife especially. And then another one that a a singing group did, um, My Hope is in the Lord, became a wonderful, wonderful comfort and strength to us during that time. And then when I was down sick uh, 20-something years ago, now 21 years ago, a song that my wife spoke to her during that time was, I've still got a song. And we can't let Satan get our song, right? right? And so I pray that tonight will be a help as well. Um, we talked about the God of all comfort in verses 1 through 7. And we learned that there's an order that precedes the comfort that we desire to have. We saw that God's comfort is for God's people. His comfort follows His grace, that is, His influence on us. And then we have His peace we can experience after we have His influence. And then that results in our praise to Him. And once we go through that process, if you would then we can enjoy and be blessed by the comfort that we find. So now then, after laying the groundwork of comfort in verses 1 through 7, Paul now addresses the trials that require comfort, but they also require greater deliverance that God grants. Sometimes comfort is what we need. But sometimes there's other trials, temptations, heartaches, things that come that we're in the midst of, that we need deliverance. We need strength. We need help. Yes, the comfort's a wonderful thing. And so Paul's going to take it further, if you would. So we're going to look at these four verses or so, and then I want to draw an application. First of all, if you have your Bible open there, back at verse number 8, Paul says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant. We would not have you ignorant. He didn't say we'd not have you ignorant, brethren. He said we'd not, brethren, have you ignorant. There's a difference. Okay, first time I proposed to my wife, she says, I'll not have you ignorant brethren. And so anyway, uh, actually, my wife and I were sweethearts at five and six years old in church. My dad accidentally knocked on the wrong door. Can you do that? No, no right? But he did. He, uh, he was going to the house next door, and he accidentally knocked on her door. Her family got in church, and uh, so... Five, six years old, I'd chase her around the church. Sometimes I was trying to kiss her. Other times I was chasing her with snakes. It all depended on what was handy. You know what I'm saying? And then at nine, we went through a period of separation. Sad time, sad time. And she moved to Houston. My dad didn't tell me the story behind that, but she just disappeared. And at 16, her brother had been to Korea in the Army, and he came back to Fort Worth, and he showed up at church. And that's a long story. He went through some tough things in Korea. It wasn't the Korean War, of course, at that time. But he went through some tough things, came back. 
came to church on Sunday morning. I said, hey, where's that little sister of yours? <laughs> but I hadn't forgot. She got my heart, you know. And he said, oh, she's back in Fort Worth now. I said, send her to church. And she came to church that night with two or three of her siblings, and uh, sparks were still there. And they're still there, right? It's pretty awesome. Now, that has nothing to do with anything. But, but it's short enough. We would not have you... Uh, not brethren have you ignorant this is a phrase not have you ignorant that Paul uses on occasion it's a pretty common phrase for him and usually he uses it to bring attention to what he's going to talk about to try to help us to focus on that and he's going to talk about here a very specific trial that he had gone through and the deliverance that God had given him aren't you thankful for the testimonies of others who have gone before us and God's deliverance for them. That gives us hope, and it gives us faith and builds our faith. So he, he's going to talk about that. So he goes on there in verse 8, and he says, um, We were pressed out of measure above strength. We were pressed out of measure above strength. What He's saying we were weighted down. We were burdened. Have you been there? You could probably relate to what Paul's talking about. There's a burden that's on him. Uh, that, that phrase there, that word pressed, comes from a word that's used six times in our New Testament. And He says, I, I was pressed here. He's sharing with him possibly the heaviest burden that he had ever borne at that time, something that had to do with this trial in Ephesus, that, that the problems and trials that he went through there, they were going to feed him to wild animals, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 32. We don't know for certain that that's what that's referring to, but that's a possibility that that was the situation. But whatever it was, he goes on and says, we despaired even of life. So he's saying this trial was such that I wasn't sure I was going to live through this. This trial was such a heavy weight that I wasn't sure my life was going to continue. So no doubt he thought that that this was going to end his personal life. He goes on in verse number 9 to say we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That's a strong statement. It's the only time we find that particular wording used in our Bible. It said with the sentence of death on us. And that's a strong statement. It's, it's not from what I can tell. It's not used in classical Greek. It's not used in the Septuagint. It's a very powerful statement, but not one that's used a lot. It's a strong statement. We use a similar statement in our day and age when we talk about someone being sentenced after a trial. The sentencing phase is next. They're going to be sentenced to whatever the sentence the judge might might pass down. A prisoner is sentenced to a certain punishment, whether that's time in jail whether that's probation, whether that's death, whatever it is, it's the same type of phrase or, or thought here. So Paul's letting these folks know that the sentence had been passed down and that the judgment had been passed down and had been pronounced upon him and it was the sentence of death. So he really didn't have hope of living past this trial that he's talking about. As far as he was concerned, there was no hope of deliverance. And maybe you've been in a situation like that, he goes on in verse number 9. He said that we should not trust in ourselves. And I think he's simply saying, in other words, that there's nothing I can do about it. There's no appeal coming. There's no one to, to take care of this for me. He says, there's nothing I can do about it. I have no power or ability to deliver myself from this sentence. And so I think we can relate to that. Sometimes we get ourselves into something and... And we, we somewhat, if you would, throw our hands up and say, I don't know what to do. 
There's nothing I can do. And you've been there as I have on different occasions. But he goes on in verse 9. He says, but in God, which raiseth the dead. He says, I can't trust in myself, but there's a God. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. I think he was saying that if, if I'm going to be spared, God is my only hope. Yes. Almighty God is our only hope. You know, sometimes it's good for us to get in that position. Sometimes it's good for us to be in that place where no one else can help us and we can't help ourselves and it causes us to turn to Him. Oh, we ought to learn to turn to Him much earlier than that. We ought to learn to turn to Him in the small things as well as the big things, right? But, but sometimes we don't. We trust in our flesh, we trust in our ability, we trust in our talent or whatever it is. But Paul says, there's no hope. But in God which raiseth the dead. And then verse 10, he reveals that he was delivered from so great a death. Again, maybe that death that was pending by wild animals. But whatever it was, it was to be horrific. Especially frightful. If he was to be delivered, it would be akin to a resurrection of the dead. I think that's what he means there when he says, But in God that raiseth the dead. He goes, listen, if I come through this, it's going to be like a resurrection from the dead. It's going to be a miracle of God. It's going to be God delivering me through this. So he's giving them some wonderful encouragement there. So, so he says, from so great a death, in verse 10 he says, and he doth deliver. He doth deliver. What a tremendous truth. I believe that even after his deliverance, the danger continued to follow him. I don't think even after he's delivered, I don't think the danger just went away. I don't think the sentence just disappeared, if you would. But he had confidence that God would, listen to what he says there in verse 10, yet deliver him. So he says, he hath delivered me, he is or doth deliver me, and he will yet deliver me. Then in verse number 11, he acknowledges the blessing and the importance of the prayers of the church. I hope you pray for one another. I hope you pray for your pastor. I hope you pray for your pastor's family. I hope you pray for each other. Prayer is such a powerful thing. Such a powerful thing. Yeah, I encourage young Christians to get your little prayers answered. I have a fun time with little prayers. I don't know if there is such a thing, you understand. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we were driving um, up 65 one day going to preach somewhere. It was a Sunday morning. We passed the exit that would have gone over to the church that we're members of now. And just out of the blue, I kind of prayed and said, God, why don't you send somebody, visitors, to sit in my pew today? You know us Baptists, we have our pew, right? So I said, why don't you send somebody, we're the third pew from the front in the center. In case you ever visit, don't sit there unless I'm absent. And then I prayed for you to sit there, all right? Lord, why don't you send somebody? So I went on and preached that morning. Called the preacher that afternoon and said, uh, just curious, did anybody sit in my pew this morning? He said, no. Well, that was encouraging. I said, well, okay, I was just curious. I wasn't going to tell him I prayed. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to tell him that. So he called me later. It wasn't a few minutes. He says, he says you know, Brother Claude, it just dawned on me. He said, this morning a man came in the back of the auditorium, walked by and talked to the ushers, and then after talking to them, walked right down and sat in your pew. I said, well, hot dog. That's, that's kind of like amen, hallelujah, all right? It's the Texas version of it. I said, isn't that awesome? And so now some of the men know that every time we're going, I pray for visitors in our pew. And they'll either text me and say, hey, somebody's in your pew. Last week they added a row. So they said, I need to redefine my pew. Because they weren't sure if I counted from the back or from the front which pew I was in. I said, 
third from the front. So I had to redefine my pew. But I love small prayers being answered. Listen, there's going to be times we need these prayers answered. My, My granddaughter, we were out of contact with some of our grandkids for 10 years. And I mentioned this morning we're back in contact. The 18-year-old's a precious girl. She texts us all day, every day. All day, every day. I mean, she's, we talk to her on the phone sometimes. She texts us all day. So the first time that she, she does farmer's market. Now, she's a strange 18-year-old girl, lady. ladies. She cooks. She sews. She bakes. She gardens. Hey, she prays. She reads her Bible. She has spiritual conversations. That's pretty awesome. But anyway, she was going to the farmer's market and so she texted me. She says, Papa, I've been here a couple of Actually, she's the only one of 14 grandkids that calls me grandfather. <laughs> I've always wanted one to call me grandfather. Somebody's got to maintain the dignity of the office. <laughs> Before I ever had grandkids, I said, I'm not going to be Papa, Peepaw, Papa, Pops, none of that. I am grandfather. I've been Papa since day one until this year. So I told her this. I said, Hon, I'm going to pray for you right now. Got off the phone, prayed for her. Wasn't 10 minutes, he texted me back, Papa, you're not going to believe this. And I looked up to him and said, thank you, Lord. That kid needed to know that God cares about our little things. Paul said, I've had some little things, but i got something pretty good size right now. And I want you to know if I come out of this, it's going to be God that delivers me. And so he, he thanks them for their prayers. There were many who were praying for him. Uh, as a result, there would be many who would rejoice in the benefit of Paul's deliverance. And so my, we, we pray for others. Then when God delivers, we can all rejoice together. And he'll talk about that in future verses. But let's apply this passage to our spiritual condition and need of deliverance. Look at verse 10 again. He says he's delivered us from so great a death. And he's talking about our need of deliverance. Paul had faced such a great trial in his life. He believed he was going to die. The sentence of death was upon him. But you know, honestly, you and I were under a sentence of death as well. Right. We were destined to an eternity in hell. Right. We were separated from Almighty God and the sentence had already been declared. And we were under that sentence. And, and in our natural condition, we, we had a horrible future ahead of us. And we had to come to the realization that we needed a Savior. I love 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. He says, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Then in verse 9 he says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Aren't you thankful that he called us from that hopeless condition into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, into the light of his word, into the light of the Holy Spirit, and gave us new life? John, writing in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, said, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The preacher talked some this morning about fire. All-consuming, devastating. But that was our destiny. That's where we were headed. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All liars. The Bible says that the liar is the one that denies Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He said, that's the liar. But you read through there and you think, well, I'm not a... Uh, murderer, whoremonger, sorcerer, all that stuff. But wait a minute, he said, the fearful, and then this next word, and unbelieving. As long as I was in that unbelieving state, I was with all this other group, headed to a lake of fire. What a horrible, horrible future. You know, as a multi-generation Christian, I struggled in my early life. with I didn't feel like I loved God like my dad loved God. Dad was raised in a preacher's home, but he was the baby of however many kids, six kids or whatever, and his brother died when he was like, when my dad was like 14 years old, then his mom and dad, like in 1941, unheard of, ended up divorced. So dad got bitter, got angry, chose a different route. So when he got saved, it was a 180. I mean, he he said, thankfully, I never knew that dad. He got saved two years before I was born. Praise the Lord for that. But I never knew that dad. But he said, son, he says, when I got saved, I lost, I had to learn how to talk all over again. He said, I lost about 75% of my vocabulary. He says, and I quit this and that immediately. And of course, that's one reason dad could be so honorary as a pastor. He thought if you got saved, you ought to get the same dose he got. Amen. I mean, dad got saved. Well, when I got saved, there wasn't that big of a change because I hadn't been to the bars or these places. So, so I didn't love, so, so I struggled with it. Why don't I love God? Like dad loves God. And then at reading scripture, I realized my sins were no smaller than his. I know y'all already knew that, but I was a slow learner. My sins were no less than dad's sins. And Jesus Christ that died for my dad's drunkenness and for his misbehaviors and his sins, that same Jesus had to die for my sins. I'll tell you something, that did something for my love life. That altered the love that I have for Jesus Christ. We were in desperate, desperate need. We could not help ourselves, verse 9. We could not trust ourselves. For to be carnally minded, Romans 8, verse 6 and 8, 6 to 8, but to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God no matter listen I started trying to preach when I was 9 or 10 years old but I was lost couldn't please God tried to preach as a teenager tried to live a half decent life but I could not please God why still in the flesh I was in the same desperate condition in need of deliverance that Paul talks about in this area. Our only hope, he says in verse 9, was God. Boy, Ephesians chapter 2, I'll not turn there for time's sake, but verses 1 through 9 talks about our condition and the wonderful grace of God that comes to us and saves us. So first of all, we see our need for deliverance. Then in verse 10, he goes on. 
And he says, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. So who delivered us, who delivered us, we see our past deliverance. Now I want to notice that uh, our past deliverance was an immediate deliverance. Amen. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? First John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Lord hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Listen to this. Beloved, someday are we the sons of God. No, that's not what my Bible says. Right. <laughs> Beloved, now. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Man, through my teen years, I knew I was lost. And I'd go talk to Dad, and Dad would say, Well, listen, listen I, I, led, I tell folks, when I was seven, eight years old, two things I knew. I had memorized the Roman road of salvation. And I led my first convert to Christ when I was nine years old. Richard Thornburg was his name. Back steps of the church. He was a couple years older than I was. He trusted Christ. I knew the Romans Road, and I knew the plan of Amway. Man, I could draw the circles. This is you, right? I knew two, two things when I was seven or eight years old. And, uh, but I was lost. So through my teen years, I'd, I'd go preach a revival, or I'd, I'd preach. And, and um, I saw folks saved. But boy, and here I was dying. And I'd talk to Dad, and Dad take me to Psalm 51 without fail and say, well, look here, David lost the joy of his salvation. And son, look what you're doing. And, and I'd think, well, I guess if anybody's saved, I am. I'm a pretty good kid. And so we'd go on. So I guess I lost the joy of my salvation. I'd pray for the joy of my salvation. And it would go on and be another year, be another year. We got married at 19 years old in December. Who gets married at Christmas, right? But we did. Got married in December. You did? <laughs> oh, your kids. Okay. <laughs> Well, we did. And so March rolled around, and I still knew I was lost. And I was sitting right about here. My dad sitting right about here in our little auditorium. And they were singing the last song before the preaching. And Dad, uh, it was my turn next. And I reached over and touched Dad. I said, Dad, i got to talk to you. And we got up and went through the door into his office right over here. Got back there and said, Dad, I've got to get saved. Dad didn't take me to Psalm 51. He didn't discuss it. He said, son, you know what to do? I said, yes, I do. And I knelt down. And I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sin. And to give me everlasting life. And as best as I knew how, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, he saved me immediately. Amen. Got up off my knees and dad got up and he looks at me and he says, son, do you want me to preach tonight? I said, no, sir, I got something to say. <laughs> I got something to say now. Man, I went out there and opened my Bible. I think it's the Gospel of Luke. It's a crucifixion story. And I began to read my text passage. And I got down to that verse, Brother Davidson says, And there they crucified him. And nothing would come out. Man, I, tears in my eyes, a big old knot in my throat. And I think for the first time in my life, I realized there they crucified him for me. Finally knelt down behind the pulpit, prayed, asked God to help me and give me my composure. Finally got up and preached. And that night, my wife's younger brother walked the aisle and trusted Christ as his Savior as well. And now then for the last 50 years, we've been trying to do that. And praise the Lord for it. It was an immediate deliverance. And not only was it an immediate deliverance, it was a complete deliverance. And Paul wasn't partially delivered and neither are we. I'm not waiting to see. 
I'm, listen, yeah, I'm waiting to see a lot of stuff, but I'm not waiting to see if I'm going to heaven or not. I've got this book right Amen. here. And I have his, it's not because of who I am or what I am or the life. I, no, it's all about what he did. He gave me everlasting things. These things are out unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Don't you feel sorry for folks that don't know? They're going to get to heaven and go, well, how many, look at that, I did make it. <laughs> Amen. Well, we might be surprised too as far as that goes. But it was a complete deliverance. And notice, so we've seen uh, our need of deliverance, our past deliverance. Notice our present deliverance. He says there in verse 10, and doth deliver. Remember, Paul was still in danger. Delivered, but still in danger. But he says, I have confidence that God's going to continue to deliver me. He doth deliver. He's delivering me today. Once we're delivered, as believers, we're still in danger. My goodness, I thought when I was a young preacher, I thought someday I'll be as old as my preacher. 48 years old when I met him, older than dirt. Thought I'd never live to be that old. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's forever. Aeons and aeons. And I thought I'll never live to be that old. And, and if I do, it'll be so sweet because there'll be no more temptations. I'm, I'm telling you, that's what I thought. You talk about a naive kid. I thought, you know, no more battles. I'll have all that behind me. And I'm talking success and folks my age. We know they're still there, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, every day. And sometimes they're harder than they were back then. And sometimes they're greater than we think we can handle. But Paul says he doth deliver me. Still had enemies. They were still out to destroy him. But they could not take away what was on the inside. They could destroy the outside. They could, they could take his life. What the Lord says, he says, don't, don't fear them who have power over your body to kill you. He says, but rather fear him who has power to, to destroy both body and soul in hell. My preacher used to say, you probably remember hearing him say this, they can kill you, but they can't eat you. Right. <laughs> well, he's not alive today. I think today they might try. You know what I'm saying? There's some wackos out there. But anyway, still had enemies. Even so, once we're delivered, he delivered our enemies are still out to destroy us. But they can't take, take away what's on the inside. Right. He talked about old devil this morning. He's still out to destroy us. Right. He wants to destroy our homes. He wants to take our kids. I pray for my kids and grandkids. My wife and I, we have a routine every night. We go to bed somewhere around 9.30, 10 o'clock, watch an episode of Andy Griffith. <laughs> i got to memorize. We've been doing it for years. And then we have our prayer time. And every night, we pray for our kids and our grandkids and many others on our prayer list. She prays for our grandkids every night by name, every one of them. I, I don't mention them every night by name because he's already heard it, right? And so, so I just, but we pray for them every night. Listen, he's out to get them. My goodness, he's out to destroy us. And the danger really comes when we get careless. When we think we got this thing under control, that's when we're in trouble. Right. When we think that uh, everything's all right, that's why Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, just a word that means to walk carefully. Watch where you're going, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. That was 2,000 years ago. We live in some evil days. So he said, watch your step. Every time I go to the doctor, VA, they always ask, 
have you fallen in the last three months or six months? It varies, but they'll say, have you fallen? I always feel victorious when I can say no. <laughs> I ain't fallen. So my wife, anytime I stumble or trip, and, and sometimes I don't trip, I just have things that go out. You know, do you have those? <laughs> they go out more than I do, as a matter of fact. But anyway, sometimes it's like that. And she'll say, you got to watch your steps. So yesterday I was out there going out, and we got two steps going from the house down to the garage. And I said, let me show you something. And so the door's right there. I said, every time I come out or in this door, I'm hanging on to the door. And I do. I hang on to that door every time. Some of you kids will catch on. Hang on every time. You know what I'm doing? I'm walking circumspectly. <laughs> Last night, man, I, I was afraid I was going to have to call you. I took, I took a, a vitamin or something that somebody told me to take for pain. I took it. It about killed me. Man, my stomach, about 10 o'clock last night. Well, listen, when I have a stomachache, there's an ache. Some of you don't know what it's like. Man, that stomach just, it, it wasn't rolling. It wasn't like, it was just hurting, just pain. Just pain. It wasn't burning, just pain. Man. I got up, went in the living room for a while, went back to bed thinking, I, I don't know what in the world this is all about. So my wife, when I finally got in, she said, I'm going to leave the light on. In case you have to get up in the middle of the night. You know what she was saying? Walk circumspectly. In our Christian life, we need to leave the light on and walk circumspectly. We need to let the light of the Holy Spirit shine in, the light of God's Word, so we can walk circumspectly. And I love 2 Peter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Boy, that a wonderful truth. And notice one last thing, if you would. He says in verse 10, He will yet deliver us. We see our future deliverance. In the natural sense, we're reminded that we can trust in future deliverance based on the foundation of the past and the present. That's why it's so important that we build that foundation. In the spiritual sense, in the natural sense, we know that. I know God's going to supply. He's going to take care. It may not be the way I'm expecting or even the way I'm asking, but I can have confidence that God's going to hear my prayer and answer. Why? Because He's done it a thousand times. Over and over. So in the natural sense, I can trust God. I got ready to retire. I'm telling you, I wasn't the guy that prepared for that. My grandpa died pastoring. My dad died pastoring. I just thought that's how it was. But that wasn't God's plan for my life. I was scared to death. And it wasn't but a brief time after I decided and I announced my retirement, God just poured on the blessing. Somebody said, oh, your church kept you on salary. No, that didn't happen. (laughs) That didn't happen. But God kept me on salary. And God provided it. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But wait a minute. In the spiritual sense, he ain't seen nothing yet. My, Paul couldn't even write about it, could he? About Peter, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's Peter saying what Paul said. It's going to be like a resurrection. Amen. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that a great promise? For who? For you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And aren't you glad you don't have to keep yourself? I think we ought to live right. I really do. I think Ephesians 2.10 follows verses 9 and 10. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We love that as Baptists. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that you should walk in them. 
John chapter 3, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Ephesians chapter 2, he said, you ought to walk right. You know, there's a difference in must and should. You ain't getting to heaven without being born again. But since you're on the way, you ought to live right. Paul says, you haven't seen anything. You know, like what John said in 1 John chapter 3, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we could be called the sons of God. I read part of this just a moment ago. Verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. But listen as he goes on. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We all have an imagination, don't we? That first moment in heaven, that first hour in heaven, that first thousand years in heaven. And of course, there's no time in heaven, right? We've all got our imagination. We all have loved ones there. When I was just a young preacher in my 30s, probably my pastor, Brother Bob, said to me, he said, son, I've got more friends, family, and loved ones in heaven now than I have here on earth. And I got that. But I didn't get that. But now then, 30, 40 years later, I got that. And my friends so far outnumber in heaven the ones that are here. What a wonderful promise. Where the sons of God doesn't appear, we know we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Then listen to verse 3. Every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now listen closely. We talk about the great change that's going to take place when we get to heaven, and there will be, because we're not pure. But I contend that change ought not be as great as we make it sound. Because we ought to be becoming like him every day. I would like to think that my mind is purer today than it was when I was in Bible college. I would like to think that my life is a more holy life today. I hadn't arrived. Don't misunderstand. But I'm just saying the Christian walk ought to be a walk of growth. And when we have that transformation, it ought not be like going from the bar rooms to heaven. There's a difference in going from the... And by the way, guy in the bar room can go to heaven. But it ought to be like going from one church service to another. That's what it ought to be. Let me ask you, where are you tonight in regard to deliverance? Are you in need of spiritual deliverance? Christ can save you. Are you saved in need of deliverance uh, today from sorrow? Or deliverance from heartache or addictions or finances or bitterness or anger? God has proven himself faithful. What did David say? I've been young, now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Where are you at today? He's already delivered you from the greatest need of your life. Surely, He can deliver you from whatever your need is today. Let's stand our feet quietly with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'll pray with you and then I'll turn it over to our preacher. Heavenly Father, thank you for that past deliverance. Lord, thank you for the testimonies of Paul and Peter and the Old Testament saints and so many others who walked with you and shared with us your deliverance, your protection, your provision. Thank you, Lord, for those who have gone before us in our lifetime. Our pastors of days gone by, our parents or whoever it might have been that showed us a faithful lifestyle. Thank you for them. Lord, help us to be faithful, knowing that others are watching. And that they have the same need we do of a Savior. Lord, if there's someone here tonight looking for deliverance from whatever, 
May they turn to you and find that this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Preacher.